like I've always done and always will. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. Hearings on Governor Kathy Hochul's $227 billion budget plan wrapped up this week. That means top lawmakers will now spend the next four weeks negotiating a final state budget with Hochul's office before it's due at the end of March. Just like at the federal level, the legislature has to approve the state budget. It doesn't just become law. And the budget is mostly about state spending. But as we tell you every year, it's also a chance to force negotiations on hot-button issues. And that always starts with the governor's agenda. But new polling shows mixed reviews for that agenda, with voters and a modest approval rating for Hochul. Sienna pollster Steve Greenberg. But what's most interesting to me, at least, is that for a year and a half as governor, this Democratic governor in a state where 50 percent of the enrolled voters are Democrats has never once hit 50 percent favorability rating. Now, some of Hochul's agenda is popular with voters. They seem to like her proposals for tying the minimum wage to inflation and raising taxes on cigarettes. Hochul wants to raise the state's tax on a pack of cigarettes by a dollar, up to $5.35. 62% of registered voters support that, according to Siena. Hochul also wants to ban menthol cigarettes. And the goal of those changes, according to her, is to get more people to stop smoking. About 12% of adults in New York smoke cigarettes, according to the State Department of Health. That's lower than the national average of about 15%. And there's not a ton of opposition to Hochul's plan. But convenience store owners are worried it will cut into their profits and force some stores to close. Kent Sopris, president of the New York Association of Convenience Stores, says each store could stand to lose about $7,000 on average. There would be, you know, probably jobs. There would be jobs lost for sure. And some stores only sell flavored tobacco products. They're just very popular. Uh, If you take them away, those entire stores will close down. Those store owners argue that consumers will turn to the illicit cigarette market instead of quitting smoking altogether. So we'll see if that makes it into the state budget. But some of Hochul's other ideas aren't as popular. One issue that's not sitting well with some voters is the state's proposed ban on fossil fuels in new construction. That would apply to new smaller homes starting in 2025 and larger buildings in 2028. A little more than half of registered voters are against the plan, according to Siena, with 53 percent opposed. And Republicans at the state capitol are opposed as well. They don't like the plan at all. And they say they won't support a state ban on fossil fuels and new construction on any timeline. Here's what Senate Republican leader Rob Ort said this week. I would argue we should not be, we should, I don't believe we should be banning natural gas. It is a clean, it is one of the cleanest forms of of energy we currently have. It employs tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. The, the job creating factor On the renewable side, doesn't come close. Doesn't come close. A recent report from the U.S. Department of Energy showed a decline in jobs in fossil fuel industries and a rise in jobs in the renewable energy sector in 2021, the most recent data available. And just a reminder that we spoke to the architects of New York's climate plan about that proposal and more a few weeks back. We'll link to that interview on our website. As always, that's at nynow.org. 
But staying now at the Capitol, the State Department of Labor has finalized new overtime rules for farm workers. You'll remember that last year, a state wage board voted to allow overtime for farm workers after 40 hours, with a phase in over the next 10 years. Right now, they only earn overtime after 60 hours. And farm groups have said the change will cut into their revenue and force some farms to shut down. But Democrats pushed back on that argument this week, pointing to a new permanent tax credit for farmers approved last year. Senate Agriculture Chair Michelle Hinchy. The tax credit also covers 118 percent of farmer costs. So it's more than a dollar for dollar. It's covering um, unemployment, workers' comp, all those kind of superfluous additions to employee costs this tax credit actually covers. Uh, So they're really... I'll say should be, but there will be no impact uh, for farmers financially with this tax credit for having to do that overtime. And we won't really know the full impact of the new overtime rules or the tax credit for a few years as the phase-in begins. But turning back now to the state budget. As we told you many times on this show, New York is in a housing crisis. There's a shortage of more than 600,000 rental units that low-income renters could actually afford, according to the National Low-Income Housing Coalition. And while New York's population has dropped over the last few years, the demand for housing has not. And Governor Kathy Hochul has proposed a plan this year that she says could help fill that gap. It's called the New York Housing Compact. It would set a goal of 800,000 new homes in New York over the next decade. And each locality would have specific housing targets to meet. And not everyone's happy about that. Some local leaders, especially on Long Island, say they want to create housing on their own terms, not the state's. I asked Governor Hochul about those concerns this week while she was in Albany to tout her housing plan. You know, not, I'm not saying everybody agrees with me on everything. But when they understand the purpose behind this, to broaden the tax base, a big issue on Long Island as well, take care of the employers who've been telling me for 10 years now that their biggest challenge is finding workers, and workers are telling me they can't afford to live there. So this is how we meet the needs of the employers as well. Hochul has pitched the plan as part of the state budget, which again is due in just four weeks. And there are still a lot of questions about how it would work. So to learn more about the housing compact and to ask about those local concerns, we spoke with State Housing Commissioner Ruthann Viznauskas. Commissioner Viznauskas, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks. Of course. So we're talking about the New York Housing Compact. It's a proposal from Governor Kathy Hochul for this year's state budget. Just to give our viewers a quick rundown, it would have a goal of creating 800,000 new homes over the next decade across the state. Each locality would have its own housing goal. I want to start with that number, 800,000, because it is a big number. How did we get to that number for the goal for this plan over 10 years? Absolutely. And really, thank you for the opportunity to unpack a little bit of what is a complicated strategy that we've proposed, but really a necessary one in order to leave the crisis in housing that we have right now. So when we looked back over the last 10 years, we saw that in New York State, we produced about 400,000 units of housing. We looked at a lot of data to figure out what do we actually need to be producing um, in order to accommodate our growing workforce um, and our growing state. And we think that number is about 800,000. And then we developed a series of policy strategies that we think will get us over the next decade, continuing with the 400,000 we would assume would happen organically, and then adding an additional 400,000. And those are the things you've read about 
in the compact around growth targets and transit-oriented development and some other regulatory relief. Okay, so the 800,000 isn't necessarily the gap that we have now. It's kind of the gap we're expecting in 10 years. Is that what I'm understanding correctly? It's a target. It's really what okay. we think in New York State needs to um, get created over the next decade in order to make up for the underproduction um, of the last 10 years and accommodate our growth. I think, as you've probably heard the governor talk about, we have done a really good job creating jobs in this state, and we've created 1.2 million jobs over the last decade, but only 400,000 units of housing. And the reason why that is obviously a gap, but reason why it's important is it's also different than what other states are doing. And other states, in many cases, and our surrounding states are producing more housing than they are jobs. And that's why people are moving to northern New Jersey and moving to Connecticut, because there's actually housing available there, um, A, and housing available there that's more affordable. Um, and so we really need to make up for that lack of production over the last decade by really changing what we do as we look forward over the next 10 years. Now, over those 800,000 units, are there any requirements on kind of what kind of units they have to be? I'm thinking, is there a requirement that a certain number or share of them have to be affordable housing versus just, you know, any kind of housing? So we want localities to really uh, be able to control what kind of growth they have. And so while we have this sort of framework set up, within it is also a lot of flexibility. So if localities would like to build single-family homes, townhouses, uh, multifamily buildings, um, home ownership, rental, they really control their growth in that way. What we're really saying is we need you to grow and we need you to keep permitting housing so that people have places to live, whether that's you know, kids who want to come back and live where they grew up or seniors who want to downsize into a different type of house. We really want to have different types of housing across the spectrum. So we give localities really a lot of flexibility uh, to create the type of housing that they that makes sense for them. Although I would say within that, too, we've tried to build in a lot of incentives for affordability, because certainly as I go across the state, everywhere I go, local leaders are saying to me they need workforce housing, they need affordable housing. Um, and so we put a series of incentives sort of built into the system for localities to include affordable housing in their production. So let's talk about that. What, what do those incentives look like? Are we talking about things like tax breaks or direct funding from the state? How would How would that work? I mean, really, it's all of the above. We have a very robust housing plan that got passed by the governor of the legislature last year. We have a $25 billion uh, five-year plan to create 100,000 affordable units. It's the most, um, it's the biggest commitment of any state in the country towards affordable housing. So we have that ready and available for localities that want to do that. But we've also built into the overall uh, housing compact um, accounting system that allows localities to count affordable regulated housing at double what they would uh, market rate housing. So again, what we're saying, we really want you to grow. If you're a town of 10,000 and you have a three-year target of 100 units, you could permit 100 market rate units or you could permit 50 affordable units, and that would count towards your target. So we think that's a really good incentive for localities to want to build affordable housing. And I think you mentioned it a bit, but what would each locality's housing goal be based on? Is it just strictly population? We see a, a bigger housing growth in New York City versus maybe a rural town upstate? So we are really tailoring it to where localities are today. So we are going to, um, localities will be baselined off the 2020 census of how many housing units they have. So again, if in 2020 you're a town that had 10,000 housing units, we would say your three-year target is 100 units and you have, you know, three years to make that target and to permit to your question, whether it's a starter home, a senior apartment, uh, or a multifamily, a multifamily building to meet that target and that time frame. 
Now, are there any localities across the state that you see that maybe it's a very small rural town that maybe just doesn't have a demand in housing that we see there clearly? Would they still have a housing goal as well, or would there be a system that says, you know, it looks like you don't need it, you don't have to do it? If there's no demand in a locality for housing, then this really does not have an impact. So we aren't uh, uh, requiring housing gets built anywhere. We are just uh, simply have this sort of framework in place to encourage growth where people are looking to build. Now, there are higher housing goals, I believe, and I'm sorry that I, I'm not remembering the, the correct details of mm-hmm. uh, housing goals in New York City versus other parts of the state. I think it's 3% over a certain number of years, but I'll let you say it because you will know it. <laughs> You're exactly right. It's 3% downstate, and by downstate, we are talking about areas that are served by the MTA, and then it's 1% uh, upstate, and that's over the three-year timeline. And how would you see each locality meeting these goals? We talked about it a little bit in terms of incentives and things like that, but at the start of this process, uh, assuming that it passes in the state budget, if it does, at the start of this process, each locality will have a goal over uh, a certain number of years. Does the state just kind of say, here's what we want out of you? Can you do that? If not, here's help. Uh, So I would say to your sort of First point about should this pass in the state budget, we are um, really looking forward to working with the legislature to get something passed. I think we feel that we can't keep going business as usual as we have for the past decade into the next because the housing crisis is too severe. Rents and home prices have grown far too much as a result of a lack of supply. So I think everybody understands that premise and then we have to find a solution for it. We think this is the right one and a good one. But we are also open to working with the legislature to make sure we can make this something that does work because we just think doing nothing is not an option and it's not going to be good for the state. Um, assuming we do get past that, um, I think we are uh, really looking forward to seeing a lot of communities take up a planning process and to say, how can we grow and how do we be successful in that way? There are so many places that I've gone around the state where people have done um, mixed income, mixed use buildings around in their downtowns, around their train stations, their vibrant downtowns where people are, you know, walking to dinner or walking to coffee, businesses are opening up. Um, and so we think this is really sort of key to New York's long-term success that people are thinking about growth and thinking about um, affordability really as part of their um, economics. And, and we want New York to be a place where people want to stay here and live here and they aren't moving to New Jersey and aren't moving to Connecticut because they're priced out of the market here. Yeah, I think we all would like that for sure. Uh, would localities also be required to, and I, I assume maybe not required, but could localities also offer incentives for new housing? I could see situations where maybe, uh, you know, a locality helps out a local developer. That happens all the time across the state on other projects. Is that also expected from these localities? Yeah, I mean, I think right now people feel that both the um, sort of land use process in a lot of places it is a very, very long, lengthy process. And so I think by uh, encouraging localities to undertake uh, rezonings, right, this is going to allow more what people would call as of right development. So every project doesn't have to go through what can sometimes be a 12 month, two year, three, four year process to go through a series of approvals. So we aren't going to build our way out of this if it takes every project four years just to get approved, much less, right, get built and then get occupied. Um, so we think that by um, ta- working with localities, say you really have to look at your um, zoning and really do a planning process that then more developments can happen on a more expedited basis and we get the kind of growth that we really need. Right. As you mentioned, uh, the state's plan, Governor Hochul's plan, I should say, 
uh, would allow localities, if they're having trouble meeting their housing goals, some other way to, uh, you know, override local zoning laws so that they could kind of uh, streamline the process. Some local leaders, especially on Long Island, have said that they really don't like that. They don't like the state telling them that they should rezone certain parts of their locality that they don't want to to meet these housing goals. What would you say to them? So we've built in a lot of flexibility to the plan. So so the first course is if you grow and you meet your housing target in three years, great. Um, if you can't because you don't have enough zoned capacity in your town to have that kind of growth, then what we've laid out in the compact is to say then undertake a series of zoning actions that could be, um, you know, rezoning an office park, rezoning an old mall to allow residential development and a series of other um, actions. And if a locality does those, then they actually have six years to make their growth target. So we feel like we're really giving a lot of flexibility to say we want you to grow. But if you can't, then we'll give you an extra cycle to undertake some zoning and then grow. So by year six, you will have met your target. Um, and then we have obviously an, a mechanism in there to have some projects approved that's really for localities that don't grow and permit housing and or don't take any zoning action. And in that case, we're saying that it is too important for this state to allow some localities to just not grow at all. We really need everyone to be doing their part. And that's really the only case where this um, other approval process comes into play. And, and it's not um, how we are hoping a lot of housing gets built in the state. We really want localities to be undertaking all these planning and zoning actions. Will there be consequences for localities if this passes and they get their number and the local leaders are so against them that they just say, I'm not doing it. I don't want to do it. What happens then? So we've put in what's called sort of an, appro- an appeals process or an approvals process uh, where if at the end of if a, if a locality is not doing any of those things, as I mentioned, then and a developer then goes to that locality um, and applies for a, for a plan approval or a building permit and they get denied, we're going to give them a place to appeal and they can either come to a newly created board at the state level or they could go to the court system. We would allow them to do either one and they can have that case reviewed. And if, in fact, the court or the board finds that the town has not met any of its obligations has not made any attempts to do any rezoning, they would then override that denial for that project and allow it to proceed. And again, you know, the enforcement mechanism is there is to make sure that everyone does their part. But our hope is really that people actually proactively do all the planning and the zoning that's needed to, to make them grow in a way that makes sense for them. All right. We will see how it shakes out in state budget talks. State Housing Commissioner Ruth Ann Visnauskas, thank you so much. And that could all change in the next few weeks as budget talks continue. And as we talk about housing, we're also talking about jobs. There's a lot of talk at the state capitol right now about New York's economic recovery. And economists agree that a major part of that recovery will be connecting more people with jobs. In this story, we tell you about a recent program growing in New York that's trying to do just that. It's part of our ongoing series focused on New York's workforce called Work in Progress. Take a look. ACO, Gio, I'm going to have you lift up the piece of rock. Romario, I'm going to have you slide the bench over and then screw along the line. So I started a residential construction company, you know, really small. And um, as I was growing that, it was like, you know, it was really, really hard to find the help. You know, it's always been a big issue to find good help, but to find help that looked like me uh, was almost impossible. For Patrick LaFortune, finding people to work at his construction company, especially people of color in the industry, was difficult. Now, Map Inc., the multi-craft apprenticeship preparation program, is helping to fill the gap in skilled labor. 
and diversify the workforce. The program started in Rochester to provide opportunity to people who have historically been underrepresented in the building and construction trades. Since then, the program has been expanding across the state. Kareem Berry is the executive director of MAP, Inc. I think the reason why it's really needed now, the workforce is basically retiring and or just, for lack of a better term, dying off. So there's a huge gap there as far as talent is concerned in the workforce. So they have to do recruiting because people now don't really want to work with their hands. Everyone is more keyboard-based. Cricket Thomas O'Dell is the statewide pre-apprenticeship coordinator at Workforce Development Institute, a statewide nonprofit that focuses on the growth and retention of good jobs in New York, providing workforce training and education services. She is hoping these programs can make the trades more inclusive. Our main objective with this whole statewide pre-apprentice program is to make sure that we have representative uh, workforce, you know, when it comes to women and people of color. My focus is on the building construction trades, but apprenticeships can be held in health, manufacturing, the cannabis industry, which is emerging, all these opportunities that allow people to not only become more aware of what's available when it comes to workforce, but also to be a part of it and to earn while you learn. I mean, what better model? In Europe, they have been doing apprenticeship programs, you know, for a long time. One of the benefits of the pre-apprentice program is it creates direct entry into the building and construction trade unions, leveling the playing field by providing participants with the skills needed to start an apprenticeship. The concerns are always in terms of, you know, do you have, um, are you going to involve the people who live here? Or is this going to, again, skirt around us, you know, and not include us? We are breaking down that barrier of it being who you knew you know, to get into the unions. Mike Lyons, president of the Greater Capital Region Building Trades, wanted to bring the program to Albany to help supply workers for some major construction projects. One of them is at the port of Albany, where Beacon Island is being transformed into an offshore wind equipment facility. MAP was brought to the south end of Albany to create a job pipeline for that site. To further cement their place in the project, Lyons negotiated a project labor agreement that allows funds to go back into MAP. So anybody as a um, signatory to the project labor agreement, there's a five cent per hour contribution that'll go directly to the building trades and then directly to MAP so they can expand, you know, they can get more participants, they can get more resources to be more successful. In recent years, the trades have struggled with recruitment due to an emphasis from some on earning a college degree. Thomas O'Dell wants to dismiss the myth that college is the only way to find a good career. You know, we're told that college is the only way you're going to be successful when that's not true. You can be highly successful, have a family-sustaining wages, living, and not have to go to college. The pre-apprenticeship program allows you to explore all those different types of careers that are there when it comes to building construction trades and figure out which one you like best. Jose Marie Montanez is a student in the Albany MAP. During high school, I wasn't a big fan of going to college because I didn't know what I wanted to major in or have a degree in. I want to be an electrician, so going to the electrical union is my passion right now. After this program was over, I wanted to create my own business, mainly electrical, and bring it out to where I grew up, which is in the Bronx, and provide my resources that I've learned and skills out to the community over there and help rebuild. And for some, they are interested in changing careers to find work that compensates them better and has flexibility. 
Ophelia Jackson is also a student in MAP Albany. I want to be a Mason. My jobs wasn't paying enough, and I didn't really care for the jobs that I was doing anymore, and I wanted to change. So I found out about the pay. I was like, oh, yeah, you got me. And then the benefits that come with it is awesome. Not only are pre-apprentices setting up a future for themselves, they are also giving back to the community. In Project Phoenix, the first phase of MAP, students learn through hands-on experience by renovating a home donated by the local land bank so it can be given back to the community. Homeownership will help spur on the economy of the whole region, says Barry from MAP. If you empower people economically, that empowers the entire community economically because, again, those residents are going to spend money where they live. So the neighborhood stores are going to benefit. Um, The tax rolls in Albany are going to benefit because now these same people are able to actually go and purchase homes. They now have the skills to repair their homes. We teach accountability to community. So it's not going to be a thing of flight. They're going to see, well, I can now repair my home, stay here, clean up, and just show a different quality of life to everyone else. And a thanks to producer Catherine Rafferty for that story. That report is part of WMHT's ongoing series looking at job seeking throughout life called Work in Progress. You can find out more at WMHT.org forward slash work in progress. Work in Progress is funded by WDI, the Workforce Development Institute. And don't forget to sign up for our new newsletter. It's totally free. And the best part is that we'll send you a link to every week's show early before it airs. We'll also give you a taste of the week's news from the state capitol. You can sign up on our website. Again, that's at nynow.org. But that does it for this week. Thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well. Funding for New York Now is provided by WNET and by the New York State Education Department.